John, it's, it's been four weeks since you told us about this new project you've starting, and you were going to give us weekly updates. And the Good Day Sir Army, which I'm beginning to question whether it exists or not, was supposed to keep you honest and now. Now the Good Day Sir, this. the Good Day Sir Army exists, and okay. it is it is it is growing strong. <laughs> and I know this because they are calling us out on one thing, and that is that you have not published your. Your your blog post because you're 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 hoarding it. It's like you're precious. Well, you're, like, I'm you're precious. You're, you're comparing something that the a promise <laughs> where a promise was made to something where a promise was not made. <laughs> you haven't let me talk about it because you're you've been hogging all the topics lately. So I blame you. I told you you just got to jump in, man. I'm not going to stop and send you an invitation. Actually, the the honest truth is I haven't made much progress on it in the last two weeks. Now the week before I did make some progress in that I ch- I had solidified my position on using Angular 2, even though it's beta. By the time I think I'm finished with this application, it should be out of beta. Yeah. I, at this point, I think any, um, any greenfield application that's going to do Angular should yeah. choose to. And, and, but, but at the time that I solidified that, I wanted to make sure that I was choosing it for the right reasons. I knew I wanted to do MVC. I knew I didn't want to do that from scratch. And so I knew I wanted to do have some kind of framework to help me out. So I wanted to, I looked at a bunch of different ones and Angular was definitely top of choice. And so I, I was basically just trying to find reasons why not to use it. And I couldn't find a reason not to. Um, but I, th- I think it has all the right components in that, you know, everything is kind of dependency injection with it and everything. And that should facilitate better testing and unit testing of, of all the different components that I want to build. And that's kind of what I need. And that's something I don't want to have to write myself. Um, so that's kind of why I chose to go that route with it. Yeah, you you don't want to write your own MVC framework. No. <laughs> well, you can. I mean, you could. Just six months later, I'll still be writing an MVC framework. I don't suggest it, I guess. But, I mean, I, th- I think at the core, when you're trying to choose these things, you kind of have to understand the problem you're trying to solve and so that you at least can make a better choice on what to use. It's not like you can just go out there and say, oh, Angular's the, the thing these days. I'm going to go use Angular for everything, or I'm going to use Backbone for everything, or I'm going to use... Ember for everything or Node for everything. Right. I mean, it, depending on your problem, one might make more sense than the other. The, the point I'm making is that all of those things have solved, you know, tens of thousands of, of man hours worth of problems. You don't want to, you probably, unless you want to build, that's not your goal is to build a, a differentiated MVC framework, then don't do that. You know, just pick one and, and take advantage. It's open source and free. Just take advantage of the, all that work they've already done. Yeah, but I think a certain, I think there's, well, let me, let me ask you this question. Do you think? No, no. What? No questions. I'm not taking questions today. You're not taking questions? <laughs> well, that's it. End of show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I'll, I was going right. to ask questions the Spending entire show. Thanks for tuning in, folks. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, from, from, it, what is your advice to someone who's just coming into development, maybe just learning or, or getting their start is a little bit greener and they see this this plethora, this this buffet of Ooh, buffet. frameworks. Tasty. Tasty buffets. I don't find buffets tasty. No, I know. That's a different That's, subject. It's funny you even use that word. I know. This, anyway. this buffet of, well, actually, I'm very skeptical of buffets and I'm very skeptical of frameworks. All in the same. Maybe it's just my personality. Huh? But, but I mean, what is your advice to someone who's just coming in and, and sees this, this immense amount of code that's available that, that is there designed by... Hopefully people that are smarter than you, people who have, or products that have been developed and managed over time to solve things and, and have really kind of built up this kind of very stable platform for you to start building your things on. Do you say, yes, 
go and start building your stuff on Angular? Or do you say, you know, try building your own AVC and seeing seeing how painful that is before you start using these so you can understand why they did the things they did? Oh, I, I'm not saying it's, it would be a good academic exercise to build a framework to look at other ones that are out there and and build something different or just for the practice of it, you know, for for the exercise <laughs> and academic experience. But if your goal is to you know, if you're actually trying to get create business value, and this is your job or something you're serious about or something you want to make money on, um, then you, you, you know, don't reinvent the wheel. Is, is what I'm saying. Yeah, but I also it's, think it's, that it's, at a certain point, you you rely too much on this technology without understanding the underlying pins of it. Yeah, and that's always a, a balance to track too. Should you understand some of how the some you know these things work? Yes, but do you need to understand you know how your CPU is handling putting things into registers and pushing and popping and all that stuff. True. So, uh, probably not. Really you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's not valuable to understand that or to how machines work or how various parts they're, parts of the stack work. All the way magic, to, right? Or how memory is paged and all that. I mean, sure, <laughs> if that's interesting to you. Do you, you know, <clears throat> balance that but with the, that, balance that, all these people that are doing four week, you know, coding boot camps that are then get out and expect to have a job. You know, I mean. They, but do you think that kind of speaks to the type of person that, that or the type of developer they're going to be if they're willing to kind of put in experiment or, or kind of do that kind of academic exercise? Well, I know where you're going with that, but I'll say the flip side of that is there are people who can't ever get their heads out of the academics of something. And you give them a problem to solve and they, you know, a deadline to do it. And they just, they've got to go learn every part of the stack and fully understand it. And next, you know, they've blown their deadline and haven't even gotten anything done. <laughs> I, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, I would almost put you in that category because you do like to understand everything. So but, when I, you, but I understand, I understand that's a problem, right? And I, I know, I'm self-aware enough to know I need when to I need stop to, when I need get, get stuff, stuff done. done. And, yeah. and I, you have to draw the limit. Like how much of this thing should I know? Well, I, you know, you need to understand if you're going to build a serious app in Angular, for example, you need to understand somewhat how that works. Do you need to understand all the way down to the bottom and, and have read every line of code? No, probably not. Right. You know. And I think I put myself in that category as well, because a lot of the things that I complained about in terms of getting a project going, especially when it's for my own personal benefit, there's no one putting pressure on me to say, hey, get this done. So it's harder for, harder for me to kind of look at something and decide what that cutoff point is and say, you know, I just got to trust it and get it done. Um, or at least do enough evaluation to say it satisfies, you know, my requirements enough and I understand pretty much at a high level what it's doing enough that I, that I can move forward with it. Yeah, and I'm I'm just in a place where I I I trust the Angular developers much more than I and and all the work they put in much more than I would trust myself to build an MVC framework that comes even close to the functionality, the security, the reliability, right, that they've already built. Yeah. All and I think on. I think along with the Angular what I ultimately coming back to our conversation of the application is what I decided is I think I want to go with Karma as a framework for unit testing. Um, it's been used quite a bit, with, and, and Jasmine has as well. Jasmine's the other option that I was exploring. Um, but I think Karma, I think, is what I want to use. It's more in line with the way I want to unit test, um, and I spent more time with it and understand it more. So just by nature, that's what I want to do. And the reason I'm saying all this is because I really want this to be a development-driven project. I really want to be able to you know, do test-driven design or development and so having those pieces in place... Really? Say, are you serious? True, like actual TDD? Yes. I really so want to do TDD. Let, you're going to 
before you even know what you want to build or whatever, you're gonna you're gonna write a test and then see and then implement that test and see where that takes you as far as the design of the no 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 system. no not from a design point. I, okay. I there's a certain foundational component to this application that I know I'm gonna have to have, regardless of how I design this from a usability perspective, from a feature enablement perspective. There's a certain amount of base framework that I have to get done. Yeah. And for that, I do want it to be test driven because I want to build a regression test and know test, that anything I went, well let's let's stop and define terms. Okay. You have test driven, and then there's I think a distinction which is test first. Um, test driven is the idea that the very first thing you do is is write a test as a as a user or some client of a library or a class or whatever, right? Yep. And then you you run that test; it obviously fails, right? And then you implement you then you implement the s- simplest implementation you can, even just returning fake stubbed out data, or whatever, to turn that green. And then you start the refactoring process, right? And then, right. but your test is driving how how you want to use it, which is what the test is. How you want to use a thing is you're letting that drive the design of the thing that is being built. I'm right? letting, so, yeah, and it, that's exactly what I want. I okay, want, I want TDD design. I want because of this. I'll we'll call it the core. The core of the application is this this fundamental fundamental layer that's at the very bottom. And that handles all the communications that I need that's going to feed into this application. Now, this is devoid of features. Is this is a, devoid of anything else. Is this a uh, service-oriented architecture, John? I don't know. I'm not going to say. <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still keeping this a mystery. Are you implementing an ESB? This is still a mystery that's going to fold over time. An extra special bidder? Oh, no, I'm sorry, an enterprise <laughs> service bus? But ultimately, there's, there's a base framework, and I, I have a very clear understanding of what I'm going to need out of this core level. And so that I want to be test driven. I want to build it. I want to, I know what tests I'm going to need to write. I need, I know what the outputs need to be. Now, once I'm finished with this part, I'll probably advance to a different level, which is where the design isn't determined by the tests. I'm, I'm, I'm doing kind of feature enablement. I'm doing kind of user experience type things. And for those, the structure of the, pro, of the project is going to change. But at least for right now, for what I'm working on, that's, that's the approach I'm going to go with. So what do we, what do we know about this app so far? We, what have you told us about it? It's a, we know it's a, what do you call it? A rich desktop, a rich local app. What do you call them? Rich client, rich desktop app. app? It's it's, a, it runs locally. It's a it's native. A cross-platform it's a cross-platform desktop application. Yeah, yeah, it's quasi-native. What are those called? Hybrid native or whatever. Yeah, I guess you can call it that. Um, Don't is, label me. Is this a, what else have you told us about it? Some kind of tool? Is this a Salesforce related thing? It's, it's a tool for me first. And okay. then something as if I feel it's valuable enough, I will release to the community. You do like tools. I do like tools. <laughs> uh, is this is this uh, something related to Salesforce? I don't want to say that yet. Okay, I'm not sure, and I don't even know that I know. I, I I'm tr- not sure. So people may think I'm playing some game here. I actually do not know what this thing yeah, is. Yeah, Jeremy's completely really in the dark. I'm, I'm with I'm with the army here. <laughs> <laughs> I know nothing more than what anyone else knows. It's I, I want it to be a story that's going to unfold over time. I've got to figure out what's causing this crackling. I just touched my cable on it. I could hear a crackle. Yeah, I heard that about annoying. you. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the update. So you say you haven't got anything done, essentially, is what you're telling us. Well, <laughs> life happens. Yeah, I'll say. I life happens. I've been really busy. And actually, I'm actually thinking about taking some time off. I mean, I'm not trying to give you a hard time, except that I'm giving you a hard time. <laughs> no, I, I want, that's, that was what I wanted out of this. I, I, wanted, I wanted someone to be able to kind of ask me and ask me these questions because, I, again, when I'm working on something for myself, I tend to kind of not put too much pressure on myself to get it done. 
it's it's this kind of open-ended thing that I'm like, I'll get done whenever I get done. Who cares? But you want some pressure is what you're saying. I want right. some pressure yeah. because I actually want to complete something. And I found that, you know what? Sometimes some of these crazy deadlines that I'm on yeah. are actually my my muse. They're my inspiration. They're right. what gets me moving. And and I focused on it and getting it done. I, I guess even in school, I was like that. Like I wouldn't do a paper or something until like a couple of days it was before it was due because if I started early enough on it, I would never get it done. But mm. for some reason, that few days, that pressure, I would just start pounding out stuff and it would come out really good. Right. It wasn't that I was doing this thing half fast. It's just that for some reason I was able to focus and intensify it because that stress was there. So maybe it's just my personality. Mm. All right. So that's your weekly update. It is my weekly update. All right. So we can well, move on to other things. Okay. I've got information, man. New shit has come to light. <laughs> so we kind of have some bad news here. Bad news. Turn, turns out that... This is good day, sir, not bad day, sir. <laughs> turns out that being featured uh, on the Good Day, Sir podcast um, is not necessarily... <laughs> We're elastic. A great idea. You know our friend. We're elastic. Mr. Uh, Heroku. He is leaving Salesforce. That's not because of us. I'm not. I'm just saying it's. <laughs> it may force. It may be a bad omen. It may I, I will counter your example here shortly. <laughs> okay. Anyway, yeah, he's he's out. He's gone. He was so Todd Nielsen. This guy's name. I think we mentioned him a couple of times, but he was an EVP, I guess, at, at Salesforce. Yeah, he over was a former uh, Spring VMware guy. Yes, and actually, was he, he involved in Spring? Yeah, I know he was. VMware. And then okay. he went to Heroku. I know he was at VMware, but I didn't realize he was involved I think in Spring. He was Spring. It might have been. Maybe. I mean, I, mean that's, I could be wrong, but I thought that was, my, that was what stuck in my head. Wouldn't surprise I, me. And then he was a Heroku guy. Yeah, he started working for Heroku in 2013 or something as their, C, I think, a CEO, I think which so. was after Salesforce bought them. But then recently he became a Salesforce EVP, I guess. And he was, I guess his job was the App Cloud to bring this. Again, to try to bring together these two very different worlds still of Heroku and Salesforce. And, uh, you know, of course, he left to pursue uh, other interests or to spend more time with his family or whatever, the, you know, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> <laughs> the obligatory, um, yeah, he quit. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, uh, so the information, which is in publication, speculates that uh, his departure could be evidence that Salesforce is rethinking its strategy toward Heroku and Force.com. You know, that's the one thing with, that I, we talked about, we've talked about, is this the new notion of an app, the app cloud. Now, was that announced in Dreamforce? Kind of around Dreamforce timing last year, right? App cloud. I, well, this year's Dreamforce was kind of interesting because they started pre-announcing a bunch of stuff and then they kind of re-announced it again at Dreamforce. But yeah, it was it was along that timeline leading up to Dreamforce where they started announcing App Cloud. Yeah. Um, but you know, App Cloud is this, it's the idea that you've got this platform that includes Force.com and, and Heroku. And, uh, well, I say Force.com, I know that's even an outdated, what's it now? Um, the Lightning Cloud, or I'm not even sure what you call it. I think App Cloud is still a valid term. No, App Cloud is, but Force.com is not. Isn't it? No, I don't think so. Was it Lightning Force or Lightning.com? Well, I, no, it's, I either, it's either been replaced with App Cloud or it's the Salesforce One platform. Oh, yeah, it might be Salesforce One. Yeah. Yeah. I or, guess Force.com is old school. So. Or is it, um, where, let's see, hang on. Oh, darn it. I got to get a better system here, John. You have your clips lined up? No, I don't. 
I, I don't have them organized. I need. I just need a search system. Is what I need. <laughs> we have to start building tools. Oh, here it is. Salesforce One Lightning. Maybe it's Salesforce One Lightning. Is that what it's called? I think it's the light. Uh, maybe it's the Lightning platform. Is, you, okay. Is Salesforce One? Is that all? Is that already being phased out? Sure, seems like it. Uh, I mean, it's still mentioned everywhere in in documentation, but everyone still thinks of Salesforce One as the mobile, the mobile application. App. Yeah, that's just that's. But stuck. I think they wanted to transition that to meaning the entire platform, but I don't think it's caught on. I th I think, I, I think a lot of us when we hear that term the first time, we gravitate to what's enabled feature wise, and at that time it was mobile. Yeah. So to us, Salesforce One was mobile. Yep. So I I just, I just you know it's not like they don't like to rebrand anything so. Marketing was like, ooh, ooh, we get to come up with a new name for something. But they came up with, you know, they in, a, in attempts to harm, harmonize these two different things, Force.com and Heroku, they created this term App Cloud. And they, there were some announcements around that same time, that, you know, the, the private spaces thing, which is kind of interesting. You know, I don't know of any, I haven't heard of any in the wild making use of that. Um, and then that was kind of on top of the Heroku Connect, which I also... Really don't know of anyone using, it's it's and too I don't expensive. recommend. No, I don't, and I don't even just from how it's technical underpinnings. I don't. I don't recommend it based on what I know about it. But I just think it wasn't going anywhere. Like no, you know, okay, there's this app cloud thing, but is anyone really buying that? Does it was anyone buying the fact that there's something new or these things are really actually better tightly integrated now? And I don't. It's just not happening. Well, I don't know. When it comes to integration and middleware, I think it depends on what your goal is, and. Where you want to allocate your You know funds. what my goal has always been? What? I want to be able to go, I mean, just in, in kind of Salesforce UI terms, go, uh, you know, new button or whatever it is and, and override this instead of Visual Force page, just a drop down and so Heroku app is one of the options and have it be that tightly integrated. And it's all on one bill. I don't have to have a separate account. You know, I've already signed up with Salesforce. I don't need to give you more credit cards or whatever. It's, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to have to go out to dinner again with the salesperson or have to call my salesperson. Jeremy. What? Wake up. You're dreaming. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who knows? I mean, with, with, with the change-up... That would, that would harmonize the With the change-up in structure, maybe, maybe, maybe we'll get there. I don't know. I don't know what was preventing app, you know, Heroku from becoming truly the well, app cloud. There's... there's they, they, all the issues fall under two categories, Tech, different technologies, culture, and culture. Yeah. Huge culture differences. And those, those are the things that people always underestimate. Oh, that's fine. They'll, they'll, they'll get on board or even, you know, putting together teams and not, not or hiring people, not considering culture. You know, people always sweep that under the rug and those, you know, technology, what are they, what's the, there's some kind of words of wisdom that's about, um, and maybe they've done studies on this, but, you know, Technology projects almost always fail because of people problems, not technology problems. But, who, but whose job is it to reunify that that culture? And was that um, oh, what was his name? Was it who was it? They left Todd Nielsen. Todd Nielsen. So so was it Todd Nielsen's job to kind of unify that culture? And was he not able to do it? Meaning, well, he was the Heroku CEO, right? So, but yeah, but I mean, Heroku probably part of his job. Heroku has a very specific culture. I would imagine. Right. I, I'd imagine it's very much a startup-like culture, a culture built around, you know, this this highly kind of scalable technology that, that's open to a lot of different technologies, whereas Salesforce, not to say they're not open, but that they're very focused on their proprietary platform. They're very focused on their licensing model 
and the subscription model. And, you know, with, with Heroku being cloud computing and focused on a different type of model, transactional, high value add, because they have to be, because again, they're, they're, they're built on top of AWS. So their value add isn't the CPU. It's, it's all the services and everything they provide on top of it. You know, how much of that culture cash or culture clash was not unifying? And whose job was it to try to unify that and find some kind of common ground? Yeah. The buck stops at the top, right? So it's... They're saying it's Benioff. I mean, it's, it's a lot of people's responsibilities, but it's, yeah, it's Benioff's, it's Todd Nielsen's. Or it's, now it's, um, oh, I'm horrible with names. What's his name? Who's the uh, new CEO? C... Keith Block. Oh, COO, Keith, Keith Block. Block. So maybe it's his job now. Yeah. He's the, and we could, we could draw all these lines because all of a sudden... Yeah, because he's leaving, and who was recently announced as the the new CEO? Well, because Keith Block is the CEO heir apparent. Well, I mean he he could be the reason. He could be the one saying, you know what, I, I want to shake things up. I I have this vision, and you know, I want to. Maybe you're right. Maybe he's 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 setting his putting his plan in place. Yeah. On his road to CEO. Oh, yeah. Uh, best wishes and good luck to Mr. Nielsen. Hope you uh, land on your feet and find something awesome to do. I'm sure he's a smart guy. You know, I'm not worried. I'm not either. He's no. going to do something and then Salesforce is going to yeah. buy them and he's going to be right back. <laughs> That's the way it goes. You leave Salesforce, yeah. you start something awesome and Salesforce, hey, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good idea. I didn't think so at the time, but yeah, that was a good idea. Okay, let's let's buy you up now. Right. Um, so anyways, I got to counter your argument on... Okay. Sale, being featured on the Salesforce podcast is, podcast is not a good thing. Okay. Uh, one of our guests, a uh, big fan, Christy Guzman, just made a Salesforce MVP. 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 Oh, Don't I have like cool. an applause or anything? Where's, uh, where's, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so the new round of MVPs came out uh, last week, and uh, Christy Guzman was one of them. So yeah, congratulations. Yeah. It's also, even, yeah. though, even though this won't be posted until probably... <clears throat> Friday, because I'm bad at my job at posting things. <laughs> it's Christy's birthday, so happy birthday, oh, Christy. Wow. Happy birthday. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. She seems very enthusiastic and is very involved in the community and is definitely in the that milieu, I will say. Milieu? The, in that crowd, and she speaks the language. She's, oh. uh, you know. So, yeah, <laughs> she's good. She's hip. Is that just no, it just seems like she, that's it's she's a one good of the cool kids. It's it doesn't surprise me. Hang. Yeah, exactly. Uh, also, there's renewals, and a uh, friend of the show, Shell Black, got renewed. Oh, uh, MVP. Michael Gill also M- MVP renewals. Yeah, Michael Gill also got renewed. So I'll continue to do do the great work. And these, and I guess the, the existing MVPs vote on renewals as well. Isn't that do you get to vote for yourself? I don't think you vote on renewals. You vote on newcomers, but I think, I think the way renewals, well, the way renewals do work is that they kind of look at your contributions over the year and they they try they try to gauge you know if you're still contributing at the volume that you that you should be, and then they renew you. Who's they? I thought this is done by MVPs. So there's actually a blog post on this <laughs> that I'll put in the show notes on how MVPs are chosen. Um, it was written by Holly Golden. He has no idea. You have no idea. I have an idea. <laughs> so for new for, new, for nominations that come through, the MVPs get that list and we're able to vote on it. But it goes through stages. So the nominations come in and then there's a voting process within within the, the MVP group. 
And then it goes to the Salesforce team who manages the MVP group to kind of go through and look and decide ultimately who's going to be in the program. Are my eyes glazing over? (laughs) You asked. It's not that I'm not interested. It's just that I'm not interested. (laughs) No. Kidding. Yeah. And then, then for renewals, there's there's a process of, so, you know, how much have you contributed? Are you continuing to contribute at the level that's expected of an MVP? And if so, then then you're renewed. And if if not... Yeah, and just remember, if you want to keep that MVP <laughs> membership... Let's get social! Social! With social media! That's a, that's a requirement. Now, to be fair, Holly and team have, have expressed that, that MVP is an award, not a job title, and that... You know, just to keep doing it, what you're doing that got you in the program. That's what I've been saying. It's a, it's not something, it's not some new task you have. It's a recognition of right. your efforts and your contributions. Right. But you can't just say, uh, you can't just be one of those that says, oh, I'm going to write a bunch of blog posts this year. And then, uh, I got MVP. I'm, I'm cool. I don't have to do nothing. Well, no, because next, it's, next, it's, it's basically yeah. continuing to contribute to the community, continuing right. to be there, yeah. continue to be available or wh- whatever got you into the program. Just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Shell, I heard that it's, or I saw him tweet, I think, that some Salesforce event coming up, he's going to be playing the bass. He is. He is. <laughs> For those that don't know, Shell plays the bass, and he's, he's a, that's, that's his hobby. That's he's, what he uses to de-stress. He's going to be slapping the strings. <laughs> yeah. He's going to be slapping the strings. <laughs> I was slow uh, on that one. <laughs> there's a show title. Um, yeah. So that'd be interesting. No, that's a, it's a it's a valid technique on the bass guitar. There are times there are times on a call where where Shell thinks he's on mute and he's not, <laughs> and you can hear a little. Dunk, 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 you can, dunk, you can dunk, hear him slapping dunk, the strings, <laughs> <laughs> and it's because he's, he, that's what he has. He has yeah. he has the bass right Just around right there, yeah. right there. I used to do that too when I worked at home. Had my trumpet right next to me on a stand and just grab it. Should we start the good day, sir? Band. See, I play guitar. You play trumpet and drums, apparently. You didn't know that, did you? I did not know that. I don't that. see how you didn't know that. You never that. told me that. As, as oh, for the longest time that I've known you, I've never knew you played drums. I'm a classically trained percussionist. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> you don't look like a drummer to me. Well, I will have enough of your stereotyping, sir, and your prejudging. <laughs> I don't appreciate it. So there you go. We can, we can start a band. We could. Yeah. I can't say we'd play anything good. <laughs> what What genre would we do a shell's all about i'm rock. a 90s grunge get grunge grunge kid so yeah and shell's very much into rock right and now i don't as far as i'm sure he likes to play rock on guitar but i wonder if he's into other genres i'm a jazz guy i mean that's the thing i'd like rock too but let's see we'd have to mix jazz for you uh closest uh, shell shell i know is a big rush fan so we'd have to mix jazz rush and i guess my f- Favorite band is probably Bush. I'm trying to figure so, out how you'd work a trumpet solo into a Rush song. So kind of grunge guitar, 70s ballad rock, I guess, is what you'd call Rush. And uh, <laughs> jazz. Does that merge? You probably could. It's a fusion. Uh, there we go. Yeah. Fusion's they, the thing. They made now. a word we'll just, just for that. Fusion. <laughs> we'll be a fusion band. Uh, okay. Let's get back to business. Back to business. Um, there's a guy uh, that's infamous i will say for his uh, he's a an analyst trip chowdhury is the guy's name and a lot of people in the apple world i realize know this guy and after i read this i went back and just kind of was googling him a little bit because he's mysteriously hard to find information about 
but he's famous for making really bad predictions about, or one in particular, bad prediction about Apple. But he works for Global Equities Research, and he's an analyst. And he just analyzes and makes predictions about these, about big, you know, technology companies, really. Global Equity Research. <clears throat> that sounds like grr. <laughs> but I found it because he, um, he says, he's saying that Salesforce's revenue acceleration is going to be challenging going forward. Um, he says revenue acceleration will be challenging. Um, he says, while sales cloud, service cloud, and Salesforce One numbers are stable, Wave Analytics and the company's Internet of Things cloud will, f- quote, will fail, unquote. Will fail. They will fail. I disagree. You disagree. I'll let you continue, though, if you got more. Now I'm just looking for... Uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll disagree that Wave is not going to fail because they're folding Wave into their, their existing <clears throat> clouds. And there, as we, as we said before, oh, yeah. it will be successful. They will claim, they will claim victory. <laughs> well, it will be, vic- be victory because that's what customers really want. This, this standalone Wave product, if, if they left it at that, yes, that's going to fail. If, there's no way it's going to compete with some of the existing products. But that technology folded in with the existing cloud, sales cloud, marketing cloud, service cloud, it will find a very successful home. Yeah. It will be well received. Unless, of course, they price it out of the water, which yeah. I hope they don't. I mean, the thing is, like, what, what percentage of their customers are basically just CRM customers? It's a huge percentage, right? Right. Um, so, well, I mean, we say CRM, but service <laughs> is a big part of their business as well. And marketing is well, becoming I guess I mean a big the sales part of their business. Cloud. I mean, really, sales, service, and marketing is, is their sweet spot. Yeah, I, 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 I forget now what percentage... Our sales cloud versus I know the I know the growth rates, but you know I'm not, I can't remember the as far as just a static snapshot of what percentage our sales cloud versus. I wouldn't be surprised service if service cloud. is well above, or not, or at not least above, a, no. at least marginally above sales, and then then you have marketing. You think service cloud is I think does so. more revenue than sales cloud? I think so. Okay, I'm going to mark that in the book, and we will review that because they just released their earnings today, and they do break out sales and service cloud. So we will discuss that next week. Oh, we'll I will mark that for follow-up so I can prove you wrong. <laughs> it's your favorite thing to do. I can shame you publicly. <laughs> <clears throat> um, what else does he say here? Salesforce's current sales cloud growth is about 10% year over year. We knew that. Which, he's, and which is really kind of low. I mean, especially considering that Salesforce only has like 18% market share in CRM. you think they'd be able to get more market share, but I don't know. Maybe that's just... Maybe they've reached some saturation point for Salesforce. But even the 10%, he says, is not sustainable. Uh, layoffs from major clients like HP and Cisco will slow them down in this area. Here's the most interesting part, though. He says, the company's use of 1990s architecture for the sales cloud business segment means that it will eventually need to be rebuilt on new technology. Uh, the company's marketing cloud division will continue to remain fragmented uh, because the product has no sustainable differentiation. That was actually two things in one. But that point about Salesforce being built on 1997. Can I call BS? Oh, you can if you back it up with something. Well, I'll back it up with, with Lightning. Yes, the, the, the original architecture of Salesforce is built on 90s technology, the, the kind of server-side post request type response. But we're, with Lightning, they're moving that into the modern technology. They're moving it into a more modern stack. Well, Lightning is at the presentation layer. That doesn't matter. Sure it does. I, well, hold on, hold on. I shouldn't say it doesn't matter. What I'm saying is that the, it's not like they reskinned Salesforce and said, okay, now you can do this. They're actually changing fundamental portions of the application to support Lightning, to f- support this new architecture. So they're absolutely moving technology from the old architecture to this new architecture. 
Otherwise, feature enablement would be nothing. It would be flip a switch. Okay, now it's enabled. That's not what's happening. That's why feature enablement in Lightning is so slow. Because they are looking at it, and they're not just saying copy and paste this code from here to here. They're saying, okay, let's re-engineer this for this new architecture. And, and I, I think that's the plan, and that's what's going to take them to, the, to, to this next phase of the, of the product. And I think it's the right thing to do. So, so to say that it's, it's entirely built on this old technology, that's kind of half-truth, because historically, yes, but they are moving it to this new architecture. Yeah. And I, he doesn't, there's, I couldn't find the source for this. These were just like little snippet quotes from him. Um, I have no idea where this came from. Oh, you know what? I think it said it was his private newsletter. So he does, I guess he sends out a private newsletter to his, to his clients and somebody got a copy of it and wrote this article up just with some very... Maybe he's trying to drive down the stock so he can buy more. Could be. That's what the, I mean, these guys do that. And it's just, you know, who knows, right? But it's Let's not... Get it down it's, to 45 it's so not, I can It's buy. not different than all these other people, like, just... They can't, they can't, you know, help themselves from reiterating strong buy or whatever all the time. This is, it's one of the like half dozen companies that are banks that own Salesforce. Of course, of course, you're reiterating a buy. Yeah. Of course, every time they, you know, sell new stock so they can compensate their employees with it, you're you're out there buying it up, right? Yeah. And you need to get the price up. And I'm Every, willing to call BS their, on BS, but at the same time, I mean, there, there's a lot of marketing hype around Salesforce too that we need to be cautious of. And sure, as a responsible investor, which. I don't have Salesforce stock, so. <laughs> yeah. But as a responsible investor, you, you should look at these at, at a more granular level. You shouldn't just take the hype on on its surface. You should research and understand the numbers and and know where they got those numbers. Right. Um, especially if you're trying to make, you know, if you're trying to buy as an individual. Um, a lot of these companies, like you say, the banks own them and things. Those are all kind of, you know, I don't know what you call them, hedge funds or whatever these these. Big yes. buyers. Well, uh, yeah, some of them are probably. I mean, they're, they're they're basically this group of buyers that are buying into this one, and this yeah. fund happens to to have that stock in their portfolio. But you know, when he talks about 1990s, I I'm inclined to not believe that. If he would say 2000s technology, I do I do wonder in Salesforce's lower in the stack, so the database, the the middle layers, the um, the messaging, the security, all that stuff. I think. You know, transactions. I mean, all the way all this stuff is architected and the technology it's built on. I don't think my my guess is that, and I don't know for sure, but I have heard over. I've had some conversations with Salesforce people that indicate that not a lot has changed in this layer of the stack, and that stuff is absolutely built on the same. It's the same technology that was around in the early two thousands. So it's it's a good ten to fifteen years old type stuff. Yeah, but I mean that that's like saying that. I don't know. I don't know. It's it, it's well, not. It's not. A, it's not a. But his. I think his point is though that that it's going to eventually need to be need to be essentially rebuilt. I think, and, it and that's an on interesting. What, at what la- layer he's talking about? Well, he doesn't say. I mean, that's, how, how many different ways are there to read memory and write memory to to? Well, lots of ways. How many different ways are there to spit out HTML? Yet we keep finding new ways and new. I know. You know. I know. I'm just. I'm just saying. I mean, it's not like it didn't work and it doesn't but work. It, but at some point, you once technology has left you behind, it's, it comes to a point where you're like, okay, it's going to get more and harder and harder and harder. We're digging ourselves a deeper and deeper and deeper hole to keep to stay on this existing old whatever it is. Right. At some point, you have to bite the bullet and 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 rebuild on the new thing so that you've got another set of you know runway here. But but it's also Harder for an application, especially a application that's been implemented in, in for enterprise customers, to say we're scrapping this and we're moving on. 
to this new technology, it's, it's harder to make that transition. So I think lightning is a great way to make that transition. You're, we're talking about completely different things. How so? Because all the stack I'm talking about is underneath that. It doesn't matter what you put on top of it. That's fine. It does. Because the stack that was originally developed had a lot of depend- dependencies on the underlying layer, that base layer. We'll say hardware level, layer if you want. But if they can transition that top layer to be a little more abstract, which I would like to think that's what they're doing, it puts them at a better position to kind of change some of the underlying okay. architecture. Yeah, you're about they're decoupling. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And at least that's my view as an engineer and to say, you know, if I was to do this and I knew there was all these dependencies, I think I would start transitioning this, this higher layer that's so dependent on this lower layer to be a little more abstract so that I can change that. So they have the option. Maybe... Like we said before, they're, they're stuck on Oracle. There's no way they can get off Oracle. But maybe right. if they start transitioning some of these other technologies so that it's more abstract, maybe they could one day. And another example, and this is kind of in a different lens tech, but they're absolutely, even, even though like Lightning is kind of uses Visual Force, but it's not Visual Force, they're still stuck with Visual Force for basically ever. And Visual Force is built on 15-year-old, 20-year-old technology too. Yeah, but we have Lightning components, and that's a transition. It and is. Maybe, but, uh, they, maybe even they require we'll Visual else. Force, though. Well, they, they require Visual Force as yeah. a container. And also, but my, the same way S controls were just a container. But my point is, is that so many people have investments in Visual Force, it ain't going anywhere. And Salesforce is stuck supporting it for basically forever. They're stuck know. running Visual Force forever. Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, they've kind of started setting the precedent that they're only going to support the, the last three releases. So at some point, if they cut off Visual Force, well... I guess you're right. I think they are stuck with it. Yeah, they are. And that's, you know, and I'm not saying that's necessarily bad. They could change what a Visual Force page is, you know, version to version, version over version. I guess so. I mean, because they do have a pretty good versioning system. They could say version pre, you know, 36, which is what the current API version we're on, is this. But post 36, it's this. I mean, as long as they're not breaking people's investments, then... They're okay. As soon as they start breaking stuff for people, then that's when it's going to be a big problem. Yeah. And, you know, and I, it's hard to say what the magnitude of this problem is. And maybe it's not that big of a deal, right? I mean, I don't know. Um, but, he, you know, it's his, this guy's opinion that this is 1990s architecture. And they've, they're going to have to rebuild it eventually. And that's going to be not only difficult and expensive, but the question is, is can it even be done successfully when you're, again, they're kind of a victim of their own success, right? I mean, they're, right. they're an $8 billion company now and they have, you know, what is it? Tens of thousands of customers that are running on their system 24 hours a day, every day. Yeah. That becomes very hard to migrate this thing in place, to, re, to revolutionize it in place while not breaking things and while not having downtime and all that stuff. It's, you know, well, I mean, I mean, it's, it, it's like the fusion thing, like, you know, right? <laughs> There's it, so many it, examples of people trying to do this. And, and, and that's what one thing to, um, in the weird fiscal, new fiscal year kickoff party they had that Mark was talking about. Uh, this is something that a lot of technology companies fail at and it ends up becoming their death knell. Um, this transition, he was referring to them going to lightning, I think, right? Just, yeah, I, I think historically on-premise mm-hmm. solutions have had the issue because they basically would say version eight of our product is this new architecture and you have to physically migrate data from one architecture to a new architecture. But you, or you could choose just to stay on the old version, Or right? stay on the and old version. And it's just running on your own server, right? And customers did not want to make that investment. Right, so they just run the old version for 15 more years. And, yeah. it, you know, it, they, they won't get the new shiny new stuff, but that's, they're fine with that. Now, cloud, at least 
Salesforce Cloud might have a different perspective on it in that they slowly transition what they can. And then at some point, it's like, if we're, we keep upgrading. If you want this new feature, they kind of had that carrot of this new feature that's going to come out and it's available and GA, but you have to enable, you know, like we'll, we'll look at Chatter, for instance. Like there's so many features that you have to have Chatter enabled for to use. Or do you have to have Lightning enabled to use? So talk about lack of decoupling. That's the problem with Chatter. Like in order to get random other features, you have to have Chatter on. That's because they really coupled, overly coupled Chatter to other features. I, I don't know if it's that or if it's kind of their line in the sand to say, if you're going to use this, which is based on modern technologies, then you have to make sure you're using XYZ. You have to be on the most current version or you have to use, at least enable all these current features, which kind of shifts the stack a little yeah. bit. There are a lot of customers who are just like, we don't want chatter. And when you tell them, well, you have to have chatter, they say, what? We don't want chatter. We, yeah. we were told we didn't have to have chatter. Well, that's, for all that's, these things that's you an do. issue. Yeah. I mean, and that comes up. Yeah. But how do you, and how do you build a system where these features have synergy with each other with, without them having some kind of coupling? It's, it's, well, I mean, it, it's a corporate game. I mean, at some point, you want to try to force your customers to transition to your newer technology, but they're resistant to change. And it's, it's this kind of balancing, kind of tug of war type thing you've got going on yeah. with your ultimate vision of the product versus what your customers are comfortable with. And this is the double edged sword of a multi tenant software as a service. It's but that's, that's every, any software. everyone. That's not. No, no, no. That, I'm saying I'm. Com- no. I'm, what I'm talking about is in the scenario you described a minute ago with on premise, hey, you can. St- Keep running that old version on your own crusty server till it explodes. That, you're fine with that. But with software as a service, multi-tenant, right? Everyone's kind of kind of got to move together. Yeah, we'll support two or three versions back, which is about a year. Yeah. But other than that, we're this thing whole thing's moving forward. You don't have a choice. Yeah. And that, again, that's a double-edged sword. It's okay. That's good in some ways because you get to take advantage of um, well, you're paying ongoing, so you might as well hopefully get to take advantage of new things. But you also you've got to move forward. You don't have a choice. It's, yeah. It's like you're on a train and the caboose you're on, they're about to decouple and you're stuck in the middle kind of holding on <laughs> and that other train's moving farther away because they decoupled it and you either, you either let go of your right hand or your left hand and you're either on the caboose that they got left behind or you're on the caboose that's moving forward. You got to pick one and time's running out. That's it's my analogy, the, by the way. The caboose dilemma. It is. It's the caboose dilemma. Coined here on the good day, sir, the caboose, caboose dilemma. Caboose. That's such a boy. Say that word about four or five times. It starts sounding I really even say weird. It once or twice. I kept saying caboose. <laughs> I kept wanting to say caboose. Just thinking about that word now. That is an odd caboose. word. Caboose. I like anyway. cabooses. And so, I cannot lie. Yeah. <laughs> um, what else? Uh, I just saw that Price Waterhouse PWC, I guess what they're calling now. They have a new, what do they call this thing? A talent exchange. Have you, did you see this? Have you heard of this? No. Introducing great minds to great opportunities. We're connecting the best independent talent with existing PwC opportunities. Become a member of our marketplace and let us introduce you to something special. So it's their, basically, it's their way to be able to hire. The, you know what? It turns out having employees nowadays sucks, especially with the Affordable Care Act and all this other, you know. <laughs> it, it's just very difficult, right? So why not just have this army of independent contractors? And you can go to this site and you can fill out your profile and they'll just, it's, it's the gig economy, which is this new thing that everyone's talking about now. What is it? I'm going to sign up right now. <laughs> Talentexchange.pwc.com. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> is employment transitioning to just purely 1099s for the world? 
I don't know. I saw something the other day that said that um, like four to five percent, only four to five percent of people in the, I think this is the United States, had ever done any kind of gig slash freelance, you know, contract work. Yeah. That's still a fairly small number, but I think it seems like it's getting much bigger. Well, I, yeah, I think so. I think, I think from a entry-level person's perspective, there's a, there's a lot of security around hiring with a company, but as you gain more experience and you try to increase your, your value, or at least increase the amount that you get for, your, for what value you represent in the, in the industry or community, Going independent or starting your own company or starting your own business seems more attractive. And they call this a marketplace, right? Which which implies they're connecting buyers and sellers. But is there really a buyer other than PwC? Or is or can other Well that, that's the thing. I mean, is is there a is. market for this or is it just kind of another way to kind of get a bunch of I think this is a way for them to not have to pay like recruiting fees, maybe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um Yeah, the uh what was it called? The gig the gig economy. Have you heard of this? Gig economy. That's just what they're calling it. Where did that come from? I just think it's the idea that a lot of people just don't have traditional jobs. I mean, look at, okay. I, I champion the you, idea of not having so, traditional jobs. So you know how the unemployment rate in this country has dropped back down to fairly low low levels. Yeah. But so many people like what, are saying, well, that doesn't, it doesn't feel, well, first of all, it doesn't feel right because so many people like still don't have, still are not employed again at like the, what they, the way they were employed. They're making much less money, or they're working part time instead of full time. But they all none of that gets counted anymore. That's you know we've we we're at a, we're operating at a historically low w- pr- uh, workforce participation rate. So I think that's driven a lot of people well, who who by the traditional metrics. I would say. Uh, uh, no, I'm just I'm talking about if you just look at workforce participation rate, the m- percentage of people that are actually in the workforce. There it means which means they're either employed or they're actively looking for a job. And it's been like less than a year because once you've been looking for a job for a year or more, they consider you a bum and kick you out. You're not, yeah. So you're not even counted in the unemployment rates anymore. <clears throat> um, that, that, well, that's its lowest level since like 1970, which was, which was back when you know, many more women stayed home than, than now. So it's, it's, it's historically low, right? So what do you do when you just cannot seem to get employed the way you used to be before the economy, economic crash happened? Um, so what do you do? Well, you... You you uh, start driving for Uber or you start freelancing at something, right? You let people buy you in small increments, a l- much lower commitment, right? They don't have to buy your health, your you know crummy health insurance that's so damn expensive nowadays. Which is uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm just reading some stuff here. Four point two percent of Americans have made money this way, although that is forty seven times. It's increased forty seven fold over the past three years. That's pretty, pretty high. Americans experience tremendous income volatility, and that volatility is on the rise. Interesting. You start driving for Uber, John, in your spare time? I'm thinking about it. <laughs> Especially if they start doing package deliveries. I just want to deliver packages. You want to deliver packages? Yeah, that's easy. <laughs> Pick up a box and drop a box off. Yeah. The deal with talking to someone or worried about them stinking up my car. <laughs> I mean, but if, you know, if, it, if you get paid, you know, I don't know, five bucks to deliver a package and you can deliver, you know, you can only deliver two or three of them in an hour. Depends on what the going rate of gas is, first of all. <laughs> That's true. That's yeah, pretty cheap right now. Yeah. Well, it's, it's shot back up, but it was pretty low. 
broke. I mean, it's it's low now, but I, I I've seen lower. Yeah, I mean, it's like one forty five right now. Right? Yeah, for a gallon. And, and with it being low, some of the discounts of when it was really high are still applying. So you kind of kind of at this mid level. Like my wife, she sent me this picture of her gas price at the time. I think she was paying like fifty cents per gallon. And it was oh, because that's because of the grocery store credits. Or yeah, it was yeah. the grocery store credits, and so she was like, "I'm filling up." I'm like, "Right, wow." <laughs> yeah, I think I think even when I was a kid, it was a dollar a gallon, but. No, we it was under a dollar when we were little. I don't know. I seem to remember trading dollars for gallons at one point. I mean, I think all through middle school and things, it was in the nineties. I remember seeing you know ninety two, ninety seven, yeah. whatever. But it's strange. We we well, all want this lower gas prices, but it's strange how it's affected the economy oh so yeah, much. It's definitely changes the economy. I mean, it's it, it's a huge benefit to certain parts of the economy, but it's yeah. it hurts other parts. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, so Salesforce is on the acquisition binge again here with um, uh, machine oh, learning. I don't think they're ever off the binge. Yeah, uh, no, I guess, but they're they're more machine learning things. Uh, this time it's uh, Prediction IO is the name of the company. Hmm. Uh, what they're a little bit different though. They, I guess, are an open source software maker um, for machine learning. I don't know anything about this. Um, yeah, so let's see. Anyone could use or modify the designs of their software to build apps, uh, any apps that do a lot of data analytics and predictive work. I, you know, this is something where I think Salesforce is really seeing this as a strategic competitive advantage, right? If they can build up a truly useful, because that's one thing you you kind of... Well, this this seems right in line with what done. they're missing. <laughs> huh? <laughs> I'm trying to explain something. Oh, saying that's something that you were talking about how there's a huge difference between just throw, you know looking at a pretty animated graph and actually something giving you insight or predicting right you know. but they just announced what was it, a couple weeks ago this uh, new predictive capability didn't they or was that um oh that was microsoft wasn't it that was microsoft or was that salesforce do you remember no. this salesforce is announced saying no it was predictive. salesforce it was salesforce it's um it will predict i think it was a part of the the fiscal year kickoff it, yeah, the predictive opportunities or whatever, it basically will tell you it's going to predict your opportunities for you. It's, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's based on empirical data. It's just a, it's inferential statistics. But, but yeah, no, I think, I think this is, yeah, no. Uh. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> uh, this is interesting. I mean, that, this is really where they're, I think, where they're going to try to set themselves apart. I mean, because CRM is CRM, right? And on the low end, they're getting, they're kind of getting eaten up on the low end. They're really going after the big stuff now. And these, they're going to invest a lot in machine learning, AI. Well, I, I think it's a natural progression. I mean, they, they have yeah. a fair amount of your data. You know, what's the next value add is, you know, providing some insights into that data. Well, the good news also about this acquisition is they say they are not going to shut it down. They are not. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's open source, so theoretically, it's already out there. I mean, you can't you can't stop it. Right? Anyone can just fork it and keep keep on trucking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> what do you think? I think it fills the gap that that I've been talking about, which is you know the wave is great, but it doesn't provide any kind of analytic intelligence. It doesn't provide any kind of the algorithms necessary to kind of do a kind of predictive analysis for your data. Yeah. You can sort and group and trend data at Wave, 
And you can kind of see where it's at. And from that, you can derive where it's coming from as a person. But the system itself isn't kind of doing any kind of analysis. They seem to be, though, marching towards this ability to basically for the Salesforce will tell you, okay, on this opportunity, you need to do this now. Or, you, or on this opportunity, you know, next week, you need to do this. It, well, that, that's a different type of intelligence. That's a kind of AI-like intelligence. That's, that's what I'm saying. That's what, exactly what this that, that's type of thing is. That's kind of feeding your, that, that's, that's the system being aware of not only your, your historical trend of data for your industry or for your specific company, but also um, kind of being able to impart some intelligence on your process. So it has to be very well aware of your process as well to be able to do that. Yeah. I just, I see them talking more about the predictive side and that's, it's interesting. Well, I mean, that would be awesome if Salesforce could could find a way to kind of allow you to kind of dictate your process and your flow and then apply that to your historical data and to kind of do an analysis and kind of do some kind of predictive analysis on it. That would be incredible, I think. Yeah, and this also, so they bought, this. okay, so there's this one, Prediction.io. The one before that they bought was the, what's the email one they use for inbox, you know, your inbox intelligence, Salesforce I, or IQ. IQ, whatever Salesforce they were IQ. called. It was called Reliant, or I'm sorry. Uh, relate IQ, I think. That's right. Yeah. And then uh, it was Tempo AI. When that was a really small acquisition, it was like four guys in Austin or something, but that was that was all about and um, artificial intelligence as well. Mm. I mean, intelligence is it. Yeah. It's, I so think that's the, the next thing for cloud. I mean, even even Microsoft with Azure is, is sort of putting a lot more intelligence into their cloud. I think in, that's in, in terms of service offerings. I think that's their big competitor right now with this because I think Microsoft I think is so. building a lot of this internally. I mean, people have been it's, doing... It's almost like a co-opetition, I think, with Microsoft. I don't know. They're, I don't know if they're cooperating with them on intelligence. I, I think for IoT, there's got to be a lot of cooperation for, for intelligence. Yeah, those are different. How well, else are you going to make meaning well, of, of, all, of gigabytes of data or of all, terabytes we, of data? I'm sorry. We really don't have any verification to what degree they're working with Microsoft on the IoT, which we now know has not even really even come close to getting off the ground. That's true. That that last meeting that discussed, <laughs> we're baby stepping. Like, well, it. I'm going to tell you the truth. We have one customer, <laughs> and they kind of left us, but we're going to just keep asking what people want, and we might build something. <laughs> that is true. I will concede to that fact. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they they released earnings today. Um, which we need time to analyze. Yeah, well, you need time probably, to analyze. You're you're a resident financial expert. We'll talk about that next week, I guess. But Benioff has been tweeting a lot about that. For some, a lot of really gr- great graphics and everything coming out, and the hype is in full force. We talked about something a couple of weeks ago with the Netflix, how they basically finally finished their multi-year migration to Amazon. Is that why I can't Netflix and chill? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> oh, by the way, I don't have Netflix. If problems. I have any predictions for next year's oh. list of words to be avoided, what was that list called? Oh, just the band words. The band words yeah. list. Yeah. yeah, Netflix and chill will be it. I'm kind of sick of that's hearing three, Netflix that's a and phrase. Chill. I don't know. If, I'm not sure if that do they do phrases. I don't know. Now I've, I've never even heard this Netflix and chill. Is this an ad campaign? No, it's just something. I don't know. It's like a hashtag. It's something. I don't know. It's everywhere now. I'm, I'm glad I brought chill. this up because I just remembered. I wanted to clarify something from last week. I don't steal Netflix content. I do. I'm a Netflix customer. I have been for years. I just don't watch it live. I, I typically don't stream from them. Now my kids do, but there's a lot of things. I just, a lot of their, their exclusive content that I obtain before I watch and I, I pre-cash it, but I do pay for Netflix. Okay, I'm not stealing. I've I've never told a lie, and I never I've never stolen anything. 
I would say the biggest customer of Netflix. And I have, are, a, and are, I have a homebrew server in my house. Do I? Am I starting to sound like a presidential <laughs> candidate to you? <laughs> kind of. Yeah. It, it, it is the year to sound like a presidential candidate. That's true. It's an election year. Um, no, I was, I was looking at this. I, I don't know why. I went back and looked at that article that talked about how they were moving. And I, it reminded me of something you were talking about, which is, I, you know, get down to the bottom half of this article. What happens if the Amazon cloud fails, right? Yeah. That's what you were talking about last week. And, yeah. and they've moved everything to Amazon. Yep. Um, so let me see if I can find some, some I, good tidbits and, here. And <clears throat> I will say that I don't think the transition has been very, uh, what's the word to say? Non-eventful? Uneventful. No. Uneventful? It hasn't been uneventful? No, because I've, I've had far more outages now. I've had instances where we're watching and all of a sudden it stops and I have to like reload it and watch it for another five minutes and then it stops and I have to reload it. It's well, just been, it, it well, happens. They've been, on, they've been on Amazon for five years, first of all. Second of all, all the streaming still happens from a co-located system that's probably within about three or four miles of your house. Well, then the system sucks. Might, Especially right. on holidays. Oh my God. Try to get on Netflix on a holiday. Yeah. You just, you, you can't. It'll sit there and spin. You'll I, see the spinning logo I, and you'll be get tired of seeing the damn Netflix logo with the spinning thing. Yeah. Try talking to your family on the holidays instead of uh, no. watching movies. I want Netflix to avoid my family. <laughs> I want to keep the kids occupied. Like, grown-ups talking. Go watch something. Right. Buy something on iTunes now. Um, Netflix isn't working. But, uh, you know, one thing that... And those Netflix guys, they're, they're some smart engineers, I'll tell you. Um, but, no, they, they created this thing called Chaos Monkey, which has become famous over the past few years. And it's this... It's basically a, some kind of tool, right, that goes in and just starts randomly taking out various instances in their Amazon infrastructure. They'll take out, you know, boxes at, at different parts of the stack. Maybe um, maybe a load balancer, maybe, you know, some different types of servers. Why are you laughing? what I say? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the, things are happening. The world continues to move on while we're recording. And um, so earlier I mentioned how people wanted access. No, the world stops while we're recording, John. No, no, the Time world does stops. not stop. Okay. So, so Adam... Uh, had had tweeted that he wanted to know if you'd published your uh, your deployment process, okay. and I, and I I tweeted back saying that's that must be in his secret bunker of of blog posts <laughs> that he won't share with us. And so uh, uh, David David Litton he 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 tweets back just now and he goes, "Can you build a backdoor for just Adam and I to access the data?" And that just the word mm. backdoor just struck me as hilarious. A backdoor to your private <laughs> to my bunker <laughs> private bunker. <laughs> I'm sorry, it just struck me. The backdoor bunker. I couldn't help it. I'm sorry, I got easily distracted. I shouldn't, I should turn off Twitter while we're recording. <laughs> you probably should. <laughs> okay. Continue, sir. All right. So, yeah, this, they have, you know, the Chaos Monkey, right? And it's, um, it, it's just one of the many tools they have that simulates all sorts of outages. So, they're really good at this stuff. They, you know, all things considered, I think they have a pretty good record. No. Um, and they also have this thing called. A good record is being. Available, ready and available during holidays so I can avoid my family. Right. I will le- I'll let them know next time I'm dining with their engineering guys, okay? All right, you do that. Uh, so they have, um, oh, they, they call it their Simeon Army, but they also added a Chaos Gorilla, which disables an entire Amazon availability zone. Disables? Yeah, it just takes it off, right? It, it basically takes all the, term, all the Netflix things in a certain availability, availability zone and just shuts it off. And that's an attempt to reroute everyone to an available zone? Okay. And it just tests that that happens. Because, okay, so the way that Amazon 
works is they have there's different regions, right? So you've got the northeast region, which is like Virginia, I think. There's right. a couple of western regions, and then there's regions all over the world. And regions like a, it's a city. So like let's take n- North Virginia, which is their I think their original zone, the the east zone. Or it's not a zone, sorry, region, the east region. Um, th- within that region, there are multiple, usually multiple availability zones. And what that means is typically different data centers. Now, they may be across the street from each other, but I think they're far enough that like if one of the data centers was to just catch on fire completely, um, the other ones would be just fine. Theoretically. Right. They have, there have been instances, there haven't been very many though, where I think I've, where they've had some kind of like bug almost that, or, or a, like a domino thing that just starts taking out all the other availability zones as well. But most of you know, 90, like 99% of the time, when there are issues, it's for with an available an availability like a zone. Hurricane takes out one of your. Centers. Well, now that you know, if if they're in the same if they're in the same region, something like a hurricane could take them all out, and that's when that's when your question is okay. Do we have a multi-region strategy? Right. right? And they have that too. I think they call it a Chaos Kong. Simulates an outage affecting an entire region and shifts workloads to another region. Wow. Yeah, so they're well, they really do cool. some smart no, engineers. <laughs> oh, here we go. So Amazon's cloud is spread across twelve regions worldwide. Um, so Netflix is in Northern Virginia, Oregon, and Dublin. Um, but if an entire region goes down, they can instantaneously redirect traffic to other available ones. They say it's not uncommon for them to fail over across regions for various reasons. Hmm. So this is something they practice. It's like you know it. It's not one of those things where you every night you rotate the backup tape, but you never, you know, no one has any idea if you need to restore if anything's going to work. <laughs> They're actually backup t- tape. That's so '90s technology, right? What are you talking about? Do you think cloud services have a cloud backup system, or they still go to tape and truck I, it to well, some I mean, secure location? Hey, it, at some point, stuff has got to blow down to zeros and ones, <laughs> either on magnetic tape or disk or something. Yeah. Well, see, there you go. That's '90s. 80s technology. Actually, that's 80s technology. Yeah. Um, here's some interesting uh, technical bits. So customer data or production data of any sort, they put in a distributed database such as Cassandra, where each data element is replicated multiple times in production, and then we generate primary backups of all the data into S3. Um, all the logical errors, operator errors, or software bugs, and many kinds of corruptions we would be able to deal with just from those S3 backups, which is cool. Yeah. Um, and then the question is, okay, what if what if Netflix systems in you know all of Amazon goes down? Well, they keep backups also of everything in the in Google's cloud, in case of a natural disaster or a self inflicted failure that somehow takes out all of Netflix's systems. Right? Self inflicted, huh? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Amazon goes, "F you, world, we're done." Yeah, I guess <laughs> they've never they've never had that situation in their you know, how many ever years of doing this, but it's possible. Um, what else? They, uh, so, you know, they'd be ready. Um, they have a system called Armageddon Monkey, which simulates failure of all of, ne- of that scenario. Say Am- all Amazon, all regions that they're in went down. It would take them, they, they think anywhere from a few hours to at max a few days to ha- completely be up online in, on another system. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, what else? Netflix declined to say whether it would operate its systems during an emergency that forced them to move off of Amazon. From a security perspective, it'd be better not to say. (laughs) (laughs) 
maybe from a stock price Top perspective, secret. it's a stock price perspective. It'd be better not to say. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, that, that's cool to know that they have that that kind of stuff. Yeah, especially since I I am completely reliant on Netflix for a lot of things. My Columbo episodes. I watch it's, a lot of Columbo, and they have a lot. I mean, a lot of the original content I'm really into nowadays. Yeah. Actually, we are getting a new season of Daredevil pretty soon. I'll, I'll binge on that. I've got that on my list to potentially watch. Oh, it's good. I heard it's good. You got to watch the first one. Okay. Here I, here I am telling you to watch something where everything you tell me to watch, I'm like, I'm not interested. I know. I don't want to watch Breaking Bad. I don't want to watch uh, what, what else you're, you told me. Yeah, you're in a rut. You're, you're just an old man who, you're an old dog that's not willing to learn new tricks. <laughs> I, I'm just not that kind of person. I like to see uh, if I can binge on it, I'll watch it. But some things I'm just not interested in. Like it, it became too mainstream. Like Breaking Bad is too mainstream for me. I just I don't care about it. Lost was too mainstream for me. I don't give it. I don't care about it. Uh, what's the other one I don't care about right now? What's what's on right now? That's what's actively in uh, season. What is it? That's the Walking Viking. Dead. Walking Dead. Well, Walking oh, Dead Vikings is, one of is them. good. Uh, Vikings is another. But what's the other one? The the other Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. I can't watch. I, uh-huh. I won't watch that. And so I did not watch, I had never watched that. And then a few months ago, someone convinced me to start and I got sucked into it and I binged them all, what, five seasons, I think. It's a great, great show. One of the best ever. So the only shows I really watch are the sitcoms like uh, Big Bang. My, my all-time favorite right now that I will, will watch and will pay to watch each, ep- each episode, which I have, is Sherlock. We, we never got to do our um, Desert Island. No, we didn't. We didn't. Although, before I forget, one more thing about Am- about Netflix. They said one of the last things they moved to Amazon was all their billing and payments up because it's got all their customer information. It's oh, got yeah. credit card, all this stuff. Where's but that at? It's, now it's on Amazon. It's right. It's the mercy Amazon. of Amazon security. I hope everyone likes Amazon who, who uses Netflix. Yeah. I remember I think you're more at the, you're more at the, at the mercy of Netflix's security than Amazon's. I mean, Amazon, yes, it's infrastructure, right? But it, That's true, because it, it is up to the application that was developed. Because, I mean, Amazon's providing CPU, and you're providing the actual software. Yeah. So it's, it's, but, it's, still, it's still Netflix's I mean, responsibility. I mean, even their physical security. You know, these, these movies that, you know, it's some Area 51 underground thing and it's, you know, retina scans and all kinds of crazy technology. That, that's yeah. actually what it's like to try to get into an Amazon, <laughs> one of these data centers. It's, you know, it's just, it's ridiculous. It's, it would probably blow your mind. I would hope so. Because what, what if software's, uh, Netflix software isn't up to par, but Joe Blow's software is even less up to par. And so you go in through Joe Blow's software and you're able to, because Amazon hypothetically Amazon security is lax mm-hmm. you're able to jump from Joe Blow's software to Netflix software and I have access to all his Netflix information so you're talking about like a weakest link type of thing yeah yeah, yeah. well I'm ultimately it boils down to Netflix has got to have good so security a- Amazon is still kind of still has to be somewhat trusted in, in terms oh, of sure how that information is definitely segmented and all those kind of things yep you got to trust somebody Um, I have a thing on, uh, someone wrote an article about does Salesforce.com have a small business problem or a small sales problem? But small I'm, not, I'm sales? not sure I want to go into that. We're already in an hour. Maybe I'll save that. Let's do something fun. Let's do my Desert Island. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let's do, uh, let's blaze. Let's blaze? Let's blaze. Okay. You got my clip? Um, yeah. 
Anyone who has boys knows this song. I'm literally dragging the volume slider on YouTube right now. How'd that work? Was that smooth? Was that smooth? That's quality editing. <laughs> <laughs> Top notch production here. The Good Day Sir Studios. Yeah. So before. <laughs> Before we move on, uh, Fitbit, Fitbit Blaze. Fitbit. Fitbit Blaze. Fitbit Blaze. That's tough to say. Fitbit Blaze. Say, <laughs> say so. Fitbit Blaze 10 times fast. <laughs> see if you can say that. There's okay. too many Bs there. Fitbit Blaze, Fitbit Blaze, Fitbit Blaze, Fitbit Blaze. Sounds like the Blaze eventually. Febreze. Yeah. Anyway. So Fitbit, Fitbit Blaze is, is Fitbit's entry into the uh, smartwatch market. So, so if you're expecting Benioff to sport an Apple Watch... Maybe not. Maybe he'll be sporting a Fitbit, Fitbit Blaze. Well, speaking of uh, Benioff and Fitbit, I mean, as soon as you know what he had, he announced that he was a big shareholder, right? And yeah. <laughs> See, <they're, laughs> they they just announced their latest earnings. They're like not good, and stock prices dropped a bunch. I bet Benioff's lost millions of dollars. That's because don't you feel the, sorry for him? <laughs> the Blaze is going to turn things around. Yeah. Actually, I like Fitbit. I think it's a great fitness tracker. And the software is, is pretty good, and the watch looks actually pretty packed with good features. I mean, competitive competitive with the Apple Watch. It's good. It's um, including <clears throat> the ability to switch your bands. It's just they have two problems. What right competition, which is always a thing. But competition but, with who? You have, I don't know. You have what is it? Samsung smartwatches. You have uh, well now Fitbit Blaze, Blaze smartwatches, and you have the Apple the Apple Watch, which and, is and there's other fitness trackers similar to Fitbit that aren't that aren't smartwatches. <clears throat> but anyway, they also the other problem they have is they're a public company. Yeah. Right? And you have to manage your you have to every decision you make, it's basically like so you can, you know, have good earnings the next quarter. It's very hard to run long term. Well, I mean, I think I think as a whole, I mean, fitness is a is a big industry. It's a billion dollar industry and, you know, focusing on products and I, I I asked you this question, and I said we'd save it for the podcast. But is 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 a watch an IoT, or is it a more of a computing device? I mean, would, you wouldn't call your phone an IoT or your computer an IoT. Well, it, because, it, does a watch okay, fit into so that category? Have, because something because a device has computing power doesn't mean it's disqualified from being on you know part of the Internet of Things. I think it is. Maybe it is. It, I don't see why it wouldn't be. I mean, it has an IP address. It communicates. It's got sensors. It's that's Internet of Things. That's right up, right up that alley, right? Yeah. So I would think that Fitbit would be a big customer of IoT. They could, right? I mean, you could certainly, yeah. If you wanted to IoT all your, I mean, all I, your all your your human resources. I, I would be hopeful to see a big presentation at the next Dreamforce of Fitbit using IoT. If we want to see some progress in IoT. If we're saying that that their devices are considered IoT, we know Mark loves his Fitbit. My Fitbit. Well, he has to. He's a big investor, <laughs> and got even bigger still. Yep. So, all right, John. Well, we've been saving this topic for a long time. Is this the island thing? And it's. T- I don't, it's time, I don't it's really time know what my it. answers were anymore. You said you would do your homework and you would do your answers. I, no, I did, but I forgot. I don't remember what they were. You're gonna have to even ask me the questions again because I forgot what. Are the... We have time for this. Yeah, we do. Okay. It's a podcast. Well, we have time. 
I know. Well, that doesn't mean I have infinite time. What do you mean? All right. Well, so what are the... Okay, so set it up the scenario. Should we save this? <laughs> I can't even find my answers. Okay, we're saving this to next week. I just called it. <laughs> I found it. You're going to have to wing it. Okay, that's fine. I'm. That's what I do. So what, it, what inspired this topic was, was Bill Gates went on a BBC radio show um, and their thing is they kind of, when they interview someone, they kind of do this desert island game. And the desert island game or castaway game is kind of like this, this really kind of psychological experiment that's supposed to, it's designed to kind of get what, infer your personality based on the things that you like and things that you do or, or just kind of gain some insight into that. And so on this radio program, they asked Bill Gates all these questions and, you know, it was centered around his music. So one of the topics of the thing is music, which I didn't ask you to, to do, but maybe I should. Let's just play that in loop yeah, yeah. while we do this. I can, I can do that. <laughs> all right. Hey, we got a, a music bed here. Let's go. All right. So I, I chose... I think five topics, books, movies, food, gadgets, and personal items. So these are things that you, you'd have to have on a desert island if you were going to survive. You couldn't live without. All right. Okay. So we'll do books first. What, what are your maybe top three books that you would have on a desert island? Books. Books. And are these in order to survive? No, these are just... Yeah, yeah. You, okay. I should, I should add that some people try to game this... Game, game the game. Yeah. Is that a thing? Sure. Where they try to play how I'm going to survive on the island. So they like do like, I'm going to get the survivalist book or the and medicine book. And that's not what you're talking that's about. That's not the point. Okay. The point isn't I'm going to be the best survivor. The point is, you know, what things would you have that you couldn't live without on this island? And so if, if you had to read the same book for 10 years because you're stuck on this island, what would, what would the, that book be? Oh my gosh. I don't know. I don't get a lot of... I'm not a big fiction reader. That could be fiction. It could be reality. It could be your. Fi- you, maybe, maybe you like reading the uh, Windows uh, API. <laughs> maybe that's your thing. The whole encyclopedia, yeah, that's the Windows three dot one API. I'm gonna. I would take the Charles Petzold book from 1997. That's what I would take. What's that one? He's the Windows API. Oh, okay, guy. okay, he, okay. <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question because I don't know what I would want to read. That's the question. Like, if I was on an island, what would I actually want to read? Probably would. I don't know. Maybe uh, Alex de Tocqueville. What was, what was it? Uh, I got to Google. That's uh, uh, the America book. Uh, it was the French dude. The French dude that did the thing in the old times. Democracy in America. <laughs> That's what it was called. Huge book. Um I don't know. Maybe some biographies. Some of, biographies? Yeah. Of people that I... I don't know who. Oh, pff, I know what I would take, John. What? Design patterns? I <laughs> <laughs> the I w- Gang of Four design patterns book? I would take Behind the Cloud. Oh, you would? <laughs> You'll be happy to know that he, he's got another book in the works. I know he wants your I help. think it's like After the Cloud or something. Yeah. I don't know. Something like on that. top of the cloud. Yeah. Cloud uh, Nine, maybe. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but he, in all seriousness, he is working on a new book that will be published soon. <laughs> he being Benioff. Yeah. All right, so so I did pick three books. Okay, what are your books? Uh, my my first book would be the the entire series of the uh, Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. I'm a 
since I was a kid, Sherlock Holmes was like a big thing for me. That's I read all the books, read all the stories. And to this day, I continue to reread them. Just love the stories, love, love the character. Um, another one of my books would be the, the Marvel Civil War series comic books. The, the core seven issues, the original core. Now, Civil War actually those, breaks off into the, other... Is that cheating? You know, multiple issues of comic books? I didn't say that in the rules. I guess you created the rules. So I you created can, the rules. You change them. So I can have my damn Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a great storyline. I, th- I think because it brings in all the d- different characters and they kind of all collide into the central universe, which they've always kind of been a part of, but skirted on the outskirts. So it was kind of, it was kind of a really good story. Uh, and then the other one is a drop Andromeda Strain. It was hmm. one of the first books of Michael Crichton that I read that I really just kind of got into like really got into and I was actually nervous for the characters as they were going through the story. What's it called? Andromeda Strain. Strain? Strain. It's a movie and everything. You don't even have to read the book. I've never even heard of the movie. Only get 7.2 on IMDb. <laughs> oh, that's an old movie. Okay. It's, it's an old book. <clears throat> but, but those are my three books. So moving on, movies. What, what movies would you take? Oh my gosh. Up to three. Um, probably Godfather one and two. Those are two of mine, right? <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll inject mine here and I'll say that one of mine is the Godfather trilogy, mainly because of the conversation we had. I couldn't die until I seen the, the Godfather trilogy. So if all of a sudden I turn up dead, it's because I watched Godfather trilogy. Oh, what else? Um, some of these are, I mean, some of the, some of the movies I really like, I think would be too depressing. Well, so, so you're a depressing character. The whole, the whole point is, is getting in some insight into who Jeremy Ross is. What, what does Jeremy Ross like? What was the Kevin Spacey movie where they... Um, hmm, uh, the, the Barbershop Quartet. Uh, Barbershop Quartet. <laughs> no, it's, it's Quartet. Um, that's a, that was a, what you call a hint. What was that movie, John? Barbershops? Kevin, Kevin Spacey Barbershop. Known for, here we go, Usual Suspects. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a good movie. That was good. He's been in a lot of good movies. He's a great actor. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. You haven't, you haven't picked the obvious one. What's that? Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, yeah. Gene Wilder. <laughs> that's one of my... By the way, I watched uh, the... The new one, the Charlie. Oh, that's horrible. Oh, it was so bad. It's so horrible. That was bad. Now, Willy Wonka really is generally one of my favorite all-time movies. From when, I, from when I first saw it as a kid to now, it's still one of my top favorites. I can watch it to this day and still enjoy it. I'm actually a big Gene Wilder fan, so. Yeah. Uh, the other one, aside from the Godfather trilogy, is uh, Doctor Who, the Tom Baker, Tom Baker era. If, if I can choose like a series... Again, I'm cheating. You're bending the rules again. I want. <laughs> you didn't say TV shows. TV shows, <laughs> movies. Well, it, it comes in a movie DVD format. Okay. All the ones that they could find, at least, they weren't destroyed. They lost some of them? They did. Oh. That's, a, that's a whole Doctor Who thing, because oh, back terrible. in the day, they thought they had them backed up, but they didn't, and they destroyed a bunch of them to get, make room, and so they lost a bunch <laughs> of episodes. We need some shelf space here. What should we do with this? I'll throw them away. Yeah, they, ne- they never thought anyone would want them, and all of a sudden, now there's a big resurgence of Doctor Who, and everyone wants them. Right. So Tom Baker was my favorite Doctor Who, and uh, so that's the series I'd, I'd like I to I never have. really got into Doctor Who. I tried a couple of times. It's, 
I think you have to have someone tell you how to get in, like where to start. Uh, For me, it was just being a kid and my dad. Now, what did they come on? We sat down every Saturday night and watched PBS. Okay, I was going to say, did they come on your local PBS? Because I don't think they came on my PBS because I don't even remember them from my childhood. I never saw a single episode until I was well into being an old man. Oh, yeah. No, we we sat down every Saturday night. My mom would pop popcorn and we'd sat down and watch them and we loved them. Wow. Okay. And even today, we'll even I'll go visit my dad and we'll pop on some Doctor Who See, and, and watch I'll, And I'll never have that nostalgic thing. Yeah. Right. Uh, but anyway. So I could watch those over and over. Food. So what What? what, what would be your favorite uh, food to have on that favorite, island? It has to be Mexican food. Mexican food? Yeah. What about like dish? Like it can't be just be generalized food. It has to be a dish. The Mexican food. Does Mexican food have dishes? What? Mexican food is actually uh, a general what. term because <laughs> what most people think when they say Mexican food is Tex-Mex. Yeah, and I'm I'm referring to Tex-Mex. I would say of, of the that's the subgenre of Mexican food. I've seen I'm people to. walk into a no, Spanish style restaurant yeah. and walk out because they didn't see their damn nachos. Exactly. <laughs> no, I I don't want to eat like fried ants. You know, I don't want any you know Native American Inca Aztec whatever. I don't want any of that stuff. I want this. You know, definitely you want your Tex-Mex. refried beans and <laughs> yeah, crispy cor- corn tortilla chips. I think maybe um like a, and cheese a chicken. Mole burrito or not enchilada, chicken mole enchilada. Hmm. Um, I mean, a well done, just crispy beef tacos, but it's hard to beat too. It has to be well done though. You, you know, I don't have to get you started on how your corn tortillas, <laughs> they have to be right. <laughs> it's an art form. There's a moisture content to deal with. <laughs> the moisture content of <laughs> corn Making tortillas. Perfect corn tortilla. You should uh, do a you know, a, uh, a write up a treatise on that sometime. I will. <laughs> so mine, if anyone knows me, everyone is going to guess this. My top choice is chicken and rice. It's what I've eaten for yeah. 10 years. Oh, yeah. Well, 20 years. And, and not, even, not even, not even like Mexican style, right? It's no. like a, probably more Asian style. Really, it, it's anything, right? plain rice and some kind of protein or, or chicken. But what I kind mean, of, what kind of, the seasoning doesn't matter. It doesn't if matter. It's, if it's plain white rice and chicken with some kind of flavoring or seasoning, there you go. I'm happy. Mm. Uh, the other, my other favorite, go-to favorite is steak and peppers. So steak and some kind of pepper. So weird. I just, just random combo. That's me. Do you like? Do you get a nice little bite of steak and pepper and combine it on your fork and then eat it I at do. once? Like so, you get a nice every bite. It so has to be. I, I, I bet every bite has to have a perfect balance of steak and pepper. <laughs> it does. <laughs> so so when I grill and I've shown you pictures, I I roast the the poblano peppers and then I I slice those up and then I have my steak and so I cut. It just that's just me. That's my ideal meal. And then my my favorite is cookies. I yeah. love cookies. Oh, I'm yeah. a cookie monster. Me too. I, I, I can't have them in the house. They just they can't be in the house. That's probably one thing that probably shouldn't be in the house. <laughs> All right, so gadget. What is the one gadget? You can only have one. One gadget that you couldn't survive without. Yeah. iPhone. Really? That's the one I couldn't survive without now. I mean, why would that be different if I was on an, an island? And I'm assuming this is not for survival purposes. It's just for like if for some reason you were on an island and you didn't have to, survival was not a problem. You yeah. just had to, you know, enjoy the rest of your life. Right. iPhone. See, for me, it's my MacBook. Okay. My MacBook Pro. Because I can do so much more in it. I could program in it. I could do stuff with it. More than I could do on my phone. What, yeah, I feel naked without my gonna, phone. What are you going to program on a desert island? I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll build the best app I could ever build that no one will ever see. Maybe you'll actually build this thing you've been... <laughs> I'll keep working on my app on the desert <laughs> exactly. island until I'm saved and then I'll release it to the world. Yeah. Maybe then you could come back with a substantial progress report on it. 
All right. So the last thing on this topic, and we'll we'll stop it at that, is personal items. What three personal items could you not live without? It could be like hairbrush, uh, styling hair foam, or whatever. Since you probably wouldn't have a mirror and no one to see you, I don't know that any of those would matter. Personal items. No, I mean, what things? I mean, what personal things could you not live without? Like, probably, I, mean, I don't know. Maybe you're really self conscious about your smell, so you always have deodorant or <sighs> yeah. what? You know, something something weird like that. I'm not a super stinky person, so I probably could do without deodorant. Um, <laughs> nose hair trimmer. Hmm? Uh, that's my nose hairs get. Yeah, that's annoying. That's annoying. Uh, Q-tips. Can I take Q-tips? Yeah, you can oh, take. Q-tips. Gotta have Q-tips. Um, Are you the anti inserting into your ears Q-tips? No, or? I do. I I have to. Yeah. After every shower. <laughs> I know you're not supposed to, but that's what they're for. Come on, give me a break. Yeah. That's what they're made for. That's why they shape the way they are. Yeah. Just don't like cram it in your ear and you'll be no, fine. No, I know how to do it. Um, what about third one? Let's see. Personal item. Yeah. I don't know. So mine, and you're going to kick yourself for this, pictures of my family would be one of them. Oh, per, okay. I, I guess I, personal I wasn't. I wasn't imagining the. No, you weren't thinking about your family, space. were you? You don't care about your family, Jeremy. <laughs> I'm well. <laughs> That's what we all learned: is Jeremy would be on a desert island, and be like, "Eh, a family <laughs> somewhere." <laughs> I was thinking like toiletry items, like personal maintenance items. Well, that comes into why. it. That's what I thought you meant. My second item is nail clippers because I have this really bad habit about biting biting my fingernails, and I I don't like doing that. So what I do is I constantly clip my nails until they're like right up against the, like there's no white in my nails. Yeah. That's like a little n- nubs. Yeah, nubs. <laughs> so I clip them down as close as I can because <clears throat> otherwise if they get any longer, there's any white, I have a tendency to want to bite them. Yeah. So nail clippers definitely. And then tissue paper because I have really bad allergies and I imagine mm-hmm. if I'm on a desert island, my allergies are going to kill me. Well, I don't know. You're in the middle of the ocean. There's no pollen. I, I just... I just know uh, well, that I need tissue paper I guess, around me at all times. Well, there's probably going to be, I'm assuming there'll be some vegetation on the island, right? Yeah. It's just a big enough that you can live off of. I'm allergic so, to everything. Yeah, so. that's true. So, to anything pollen related. But there's probably no ragweed on islands. And that's what. I can't say that ragweed's here. my thing, though. It could be like mold or something. I don't think you have any one thing. It's your problem. <laughs> <laughs> and thus concludes Desert Island. Uh, I hope you guys learned a little bit more about Jeremy and myself. Maybe more than you wanted to. <laughs> I need an I need an applause thing. Hey, Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Any music? I didn't have that on the list, but w- what music? Just for argument's sake. If I had to pick one, that's that's what makes it interesting, right? If you had to pick one thing, um, probably Miles Davis. I would say uh, what's the album Kind of Blue. Um, Is that you're such a see that does does. Yeah, it's kind feeds of feeds into your jazz thing. That's just a, that's one of the, just such a great album. It's got uh, Freddie Freeloader. What else is on there? Um, so what? Of course, All Blues, which is probably the most uh, famous. What about you? I guess Bush. It's <laughs> <Bush. laughs> a '90s thing. That's what. That's when I started learning to play guitar. So I I learned to play a lot of Bush. So that was kind of my thing for a while. Another great thing about that that particular Miles Davis al- album that also gets you uh, John Coltrane, Bill Evans, and I think Cannonball Adderley. Yeah. If I had to add two, uh, Primus would be another one. I was big into Primus when I was younger. 
Uh, I can't think of a third. You're you're a rocker. You're a hardcore rocker, John. I am. Such a jazz nerd. I am. I'm so lame. I definitely am. You don't know how to rock out. <laughs> you should see me at these rock concerts. Do you mosh? No. <laughs> Is there moshing at a jazz I just concert? Stand there. What What do you do at a jazz concert? Do you kind of sway? I'm much more. I'm much more prone to. To I don't know, just to, the move to the music at a in a jazz than I would be at, uh, especially like some really like killer up tempo thing. Like I don't know, I'd get my that'd get my foot shaking. Yeah. Whereas at like a rock concert, I'm just looking around watching all these crazy stone people and being entertained by them. <laughs> Are you not getting contact highs from these stone people? I don't know. I don't think I've never <laughs> noticed that. So I don't know. So we got some feedback recently. And it's much appreciated. Please continue to give us feedback yeah, on did. the show. Yeah, and, that's true. Uh, one, one of the feedback is is they is people really enjoy our what you bring to drink. So maybe we'll uh, try to bring a drink. Next yeah, what'd you time. bring to drink, John? Today? Oh, my four roses whiskey. Four roses. <laughs> Not just any four roses. It's one of the particular releases, right? Or yeah, it's a single single barrel, uh, non blended whiskey. Because you just won't have more than one barrel touching your lips at a time. Yeah. You're too good for that. Too, well, too fancy. Uh, I am too fancy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I brought, what are, can you, you can't reach that bag, can you? This is what I brought to drink. I brought Red Bird Coffee, their Brazil Sweet Blue. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Whole bean Arabica. This is roasted by the small family roastery called Redbird and they I believe they are in they're in Montana, Bozeman. Montana? Yeah. I didn't know you can get coffee from Montana. Sure can. I thought that was all in in the southern countries that you get coffee. Well that's where they roast or below it. the equator. Well actually coffee is the best coffee comes from near the equator at high altitudes. So, Which makes sense. I mean, think of coffee's, you know, home, right? Which is uh, in the mountains of Ethiopia. Right. I thought, you know, think of the great coffee growing places, Colombia, Ethiopia, um, the Indonesia, right around the equator, Hawaii. Hawaii has coffee? Oh, yeah. Some of the, what is there? The Kona, that's Hawaii. Oh. Huh. Yeah. Is that any good? Some of it is. Some of it's overpriced. It's just a bad value. <laughs> People that want, that want to buy fancy coffee but couldn't tell good coffee from Folgers, you know, they probably buy Kona. You knock in Folgers? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. They actually. have flavor crystals, have Jeremy. No problem knocking Folgers. Those flavor crystals are flavorous. Damn it. Delicious. <laughs> I mix them in with my ice cream, make a little coffee ice cream. Mix it, mix it in with your steak and peppers. Oh yeah, you just need a crusted uh, coffee crusted have steak. You, I've, I've done coffee on steak before. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, but you have to. You can't use just ground coffee. You, you either need no, you to, can't use your instant Folgers on it. No, actually, you should use some kind of like instant would work. What what doesn't work is ground coffee beans before that you made coffee from them because they they bur- they'll burn just like pepper. You know, it's not supposed to put pepper on a steak because it before you cook it because it burns. A little pepper burns. Yeah. So you're saying not to use your and also, Freshly ground. I mean, coffee, a coffee bean in, in the grounds contain way too much like bitter astringents and 
phenols and things that you don't you don't want to consume. In fact, if you brew coffee well, one of the one of the goals is to get as little bit of that into the the liquid as possible. Yeah. So if you overshoot your temperature, if you brew too long, which is my pet peeve on people with their just leaving coffee sitting in the French press thing forever, like it just sits there and over extracts. Yeah. So that's why you want to use extracted coffee and then dry it. Like you could actually probably, I wonder if you could um, brew some espresso, which is already a low, you know, high, you know, solid percentage, right? It's a low, low liquid count, I guess. And dry that out. Because I'm not marinating your steak and coffee. Yeah, that would probably work too. Coffee goes good with a lot of stuff. Chocolate. All I know is I never desserts. put pepper on my steak before I grill it. I always, I, I will put salt on it, but yeah. I won't, I won't grill it with pepper because right. it just burn off. Yeah. And it's not as fresh tasting. Yeah. Pepper's not. Yeah. I like pepper. All right, John. That's a show. And to that. <laughs> Helicopter? Orly no, Burke? That's the wrap it up symbol. That's the wrap it up? Yeah, you're getting the wrap it up. <laughs> and to that I say, good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir.